Last Sunday, we reflected on anxiety. And today we are going to reflect on anxiety's close cousin, despair. How can you not think about despair when our first reading is from the book of Job? And the despair of Job with everything being stripped away from him. That he says, my days come to their end without hope. And then, I think it also ties to the gospel. Right? Jesus heals all of these people, but it says specifically he cured many. Not all, just many. And then when the apostles come to hunt him down, when he goes to a quiet place to pray, and they say, Jesus, your job is not done yet. There's still people waiting for you. He says, let's keep moving to the next town. Why doesn't Jesus heal everyone? Why doesn't Jesus cast out every demon? Why doesn't Jesus create more healing in the world around us if he has the power to do so? And is that not potentially a source of despair. Archbishop Smith, over the last year, I've heard him a number of times talk that we currently have a crisis of hope in the world. That people are starving for hope because they don't know where to look to to find hope. Because like anxiety, a lack of hope or despair is tied to that need to know and that need for certainty in our life. And some of the ways that we kind of feed our own despair or lack of hope in our life are these. One, if you're on social media, is doom scrolling. Doom scrolling is looking for all of the negative information that you can find because if I have all of the negative information, I can prevent negative things from happening. For those of you that are not on social media, I think the same things happens when we watch the news all the time. That when we watch the news all the time, we get all the negative information of all the negative things that are happening in the world around us, and then we feel like we can prevent the negative things that could happen in our own life. And we feed that hopelessness. Another one is workaholism. That I always have to be doing something, because if I just work a little bit harder and a little bit longer, everything will be in its right place and completed in its right way. Another one is materialism. If I just have that one more thing, or if I just upgrade what I have to one more level, then I will have the comfort that I need to go about the way my life should be. Another one is comparison. That I look to others, because if I look to others, I can see what needs perfection in myself, and I can work on the imperfect parts of myself reflected back to me from others. And I'm sure the list goes on. But there's a few ways that we feed that despair, that hopelessness in our life because we're trying to ensure that we know everything and that we are certain about everything. Jesus does two things in the gospel to lead us to true Christian hope. And they seem counterintuitive. They seem like the opposite of what we would want to do to hope for what comes in the future. The first is compassion. Compassion in this true sense of the word, which means to suffer with, to suffer with those who are ill. Our gospel acclamation today was, Christ took our infirmities and bore our diseases. And one of the things that we witness in the life of Jesus is that just like we believe that on the cross he took 
on our sin. He became sin for us to set us free from the effect of sin. So too, in all of the healing miracles, he took on and bore the infirmities of the people that he healed, which is the reason why I showed you that video clip before Mass. Because it's to show that it took a toll on Jesus. It wasn't like he waved his magic wand over these people who were sick and then poof and everything was good. That there was a toll, just like there's a toll on Christ for the sake of our sin, there's a toll on Christ for the sake of everyone that he healed. That he takes it to himself. He suffers with them and for them. And part of the way that we increase our hope or we increase our capacity for hope is growing in the ability to suffer with and for others, which sounds counterintuitive. You would think that you would want to get rid of suffering so that you had more hope. I'm going to apologize. I have two long quotes today in my homily because Pope Benedict just says it better than me. Here's how he describes how embracing suffering actually brings more hope rather than less. He says, we can try to limit suffering, to fight against it, but we cannot eliminate it. It is when we attempt to avoid suffering by withdrawing from anything that might involve hurt, when we try to spare ourselves the effort and pain of pursuing truth, love, and goodness, that we drift into a life of emptiness in which there may be almost no pain, but the dark sensation of meaninglessness and abandonment is all the greater. It is not by sidestepping or fleeing from suffering that we are healed, but rather by our capacity for accepting it, maturing through it, and finding meaning through union with Christ, who suffered with infinite love. It is by accepting suffering that our hope increases. One way that you could think of that is committed love is actually the embrace of suffering. When you commit yourself in love to a spouse, it's a commitment to suffering because you are two different people. And to commit to be with each other till death do you part is to embrace the suffering that is going to come from being two different people. And yet we don't, well, hopefully, we don't just walk around going, I'm married. <laughs> We get married because there's hope in that. But the only hope that comes in marriage, you lose hope if all you do is fixate on the suffering. But the suffering is actually what helps when you mature through it and you accept it and you see God in it, it actually brings greater hope in your married life. That love is the embracement, embracing of suffering for the hope of what comes from it. That's the cross. That's why we lift up the cross as a sign of hope and not just despair. Jesus tells us that learning how to accept and mature through suffering and to see Christ in it actually brings greater hope. And the second is after Jesus spends all of this time healing these people outside the front door of Peter's mother-in-law's house, while everybody else is tired after a long day, he gets up in the middle of the night and goes away to pray. Jesus goes to a quiet place to pray. He wastes time in prayer. How does prayer increase hope? Prayer often feels like doing nothing. So why does it increase hope? 
Well, back to the very wise Pope Benedict. And he's quoting St. Augustine. St. Augustine defines prayer as an exercise of desire. He says, man was created for greatness, for God himself. He was created to be filled by God, but his heart is too small for the greatness to which he is destined. It must be stretched. By delaying his gift, God strengthens our desire. Through desire, he enlarges our soul, and by expanding it, he increases its capacity for receiving him. Suppose that God wishes to fill you with honey, a symbol of God's tenderness and goodness. But if you are full of vinegar, where will you put the honey? The vessel, that is your heart, must first be enlarged and then cleansed, freed from the vinegar and its taste. This requires hard work and is painful. But in this way alone do we become suited for that for which we are destined. I've always loved that line. Prayer is an exercise of desire. Part of what we do when we pray, part of the reason that it increases our hope is that it is stretching us for the things of God and not just the things of us. It is a waste of our time. But it's a waste of our time so that we can become more suited and more capable of embracing the gifts of God. Because ultimately for us as Christians, we don't see hope as something that I manifest within myself. That if I just have positive thoughts and if I think about the right thing, I'm going to have the hope that I require. For us as Christians, hope is actually only a result of God's grace to us. We call them the theological virtues. Faith, hope, and love. And with these three, they all originate in God's gift to us. And so we pray for hope. We pray for that increased desire for the things of God. And I think part of the reason this is so hard is because both of these seem counterintuitive to our search for hope and for meaning. And we sometimes cling to other things that actually, in the sight of God, are counterintuitive. We cling to things that actually tend to increase our despair as a source of hope. And we fight against ourselves. Jesus today in the gospel and the way that he approaches the sick, approaches the father, points us to a source of hope. How do we embrace suffering? To suffer with others and for others. Not suffering in isolation. That's hell. Suffering alone is hell. Suffering with others and for others is where hope is found. And then how do we turn to our prayer? How do we pray in a way as an exercise of growing our desire for the things of God? And not just pleading that God give us what we think we need, but actually expanding the capacity of our soul to receive God because we are made for greatness. Because we all believe and profess that hope is found in Him alone. <laughs>